Hey, what's up, everybody? How are you all doing? This is Keith Billick, and you're listening to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining me. Summer is winding down, and wouldn't you know it, I finally have my first gig of the spring or summer tomorrow night. And even at that, it is a live stream concert uh, with my good friend and a a talented singer-songwriter, Rochelle Clark. And that's tomorrow night. But man, what a crazy year. I don't even know how to play gigs anymore. But um, the other thing that happens at the end of summer, of course, is back to school. And that's why this is going to be one of those educational episodes. It's time to time to put on your learning hat, and hopefully this helps you improve your playing. On the same note, another type of episode that I've been doing are the freshly picked series featuring new albums, and you've heard two of those so far. Uh, the last episode was with Bill Evans, and I had done a previous one with Nick Hornbuckle. Let me know what you think of those. I'm, I'm really curious to hear how you like those compared to the standard interview episodes that I tend to do. And of course, you can get me any of your feedback at pickyfingersbanjapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so I mentioned this is an instructional episode. And before I forget, there is a tab sheet that you will want to have to, to follow along to the tips and lessons and exercises that I have with this. And uh, the best way for you to download that tab sheet is to go to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And you will want to look for a post. It's a public post. Uh, And I don't know, I haven't posted it yet, but it'll be titled something to the effect of tab sheet for episode 52. And just check that out and download the PDF and uh, if that's too complicated, you can always email me at the at the email address I just listed, and I'll be happy to send an email to you with that file attached. But of course, there's a little bit of lag time before I can do that. So if you need your immediate gratification, just go to that Patreon site. And right now is when you might be saying like, hey, wait a minute. He just wants us to go to Patreon to get the tab sheet so that maybe we'll see that that's also how we become patrons of the podcast and support what he's doing and make a small monthly donation to make sure that the podcast keeps going. Well, if that's what you thought, then you have me completely figured out. That's exactly right. Patreon.com is where you become a supporter of the podcast. Of course, the shows are all free for you to download, but they are not free for me to make. It's a lot of hard work and I love doing it, but it also is nice to have a few bucks coming in here or there. So while you're at that Patreon site, check out the ways to become a supporter. And of course, one of the levels of patronage is to have me thank you personally on the podcast. And today I have two such patrons to thank. Uh, one is Brian Spini. And Brian, I really hope I pronounced your your name right. But uh, at any rate, I don't know too much about Brian, but of course, we all know how discerning his tastes and podcasts are to be to be subscribing to this one. Thank you so much, Brian. And the other supporter of today's podcast is Helen King. And she started playing the banjo at the age of 46 after dabbling in various classical instruments like the piano, violin, and classical guitar. Well, as always, with stories like that, I welcome Helen to, you know, the fact that she finally found 
the best instrument of them all. And she seems to be really geeked about the banjo at this point. Helen's also from Bristol, UK. And I know I've mentioned this before. There seems to be Picky Fingers supporters over in Bristol. So I don't know. You guys might want to start developing maybe a a secret handshake once, maybe once handshakes are possible again, or a secret hand sign or salute, you know, something that you'll be able to identify each other as you're walking down the streets of Bristol. So anyway, Brian and Helen, thank you so much for going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and becoming supporters. I couldn't do it without you. Other ways to support the podcast. I have stuff for sale. I have super groovy podcast logo t-shirts and that's to let everyone know you know obviously if they see you playing your banjo they're going to know how cool you are but just in case you have to leave the house without your instrument having that t-shirt on is the way to let everyone know that you command immediate respect and just a way to have your superior intelligence on full display for all and the way you get that stuff oh there's stickers too Go to banjopodcast.com and the store there has has your options uh, for you to check out. So uh, I encourage you to do that. The other ways to support, follow me on all the social medias. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Track me down there. Give me likes or follows or whatnot. And just help spread the word about the, about the podcast itself or the new episodes. So I think that takes care of the housekeeping items for the episode. Let's get into the actual content here. I call this episode Pleading the Fifth, and there's several reasons for that. The main reason I chose that title was because I'm a, a dad joker and pun enthusiast, and my the opportunity to do a crossover legal banjo pun corny joke it was just too much for me to resist. So I, I had to seize that opportunity. But really, it it is relevant because it, this started when I was having a conversation with Eli Gilbert recently, and he said a big part of his approach to the banjo is trying to think about what he can do on the banjo that is unique to the other instruments. In other words, what can he do on the banjo that none of the instruments are able to play? And I thought that was a really cool way of approaching music and just a, a an interesting exercise to think about what those things might be. And one thing that occurred to me was that the most unique thing about the banjo, I think, is the fact that we have this strange half string known as the fifth string on the on the side of our instrument that is normally reserved for bass notes you know uh, on almost any other stringed instrument there's just a a smooth transition from the lower notes to the high notes but in in banjo world that's obviously kind of screwed up a little bit um so that creates some challenges when you're learning it but it also creates some opportunities in terms of doing what eli said playing things that no other instruments are going to be able to just by virtue of the fact that none of them have that high fifth string like we do. Now, the other thing is that when most of us are learning, we learn rolls or we learn basic uh, ways to pick out melodies, usually down the neck in the first four frets. So we're just using that fifth string as a drone. And that's totally cool because that's, that's the way a lot of bluegrass is played, a lot of folk music is played, and that's fine. 
But once we start exploring ways to use it as more than just a drone, as an, an actual option for, for the, using the notes on that string, um, that's when we can really tap into some of those other, I'll, I'll call them competitive advantages of the banjo, the things that banjos can do that other instruments can't. And that's where pleading the fifth comes in. These, these are all exercises designed for someone who's familiar with the, the basics of banjo and just starting to learn how to branch out. These are the first and most useful ways to start integrating playing notes on the fifth string and how to use them in your playing. And pretty much all of the things that I'm showing you here are, are things that I use all the time when I'm playing music with people. They're very useful. And I think you will recognize right away when you play them that you've probably heard other players play them before and you're going to start to identify it in the music you listen to. So I hope this is all useful and I'll do my best to explain things, but don't uh, hesitate to give me a shout if I move too fast on any of this or if you need any further explanation. Uh, I'm here to help, but um, first step is to grab hold of that tab sheet that I told you about. And once again, if you go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, there's a post where you can uh, download that tab sheet. So make sure you do that first before you sit down with your banjo to follow along. So you heard me say that the fact that the banjo has this this strange tuning with the strange fifth string, that gives us a unique advantage in some ways. And what are those advantages? Well, the way I look at it is, so the banjo, if you look at the, the first and second string, those are in a minor third interval. And that's a lot closer than most other stringed instruments. It's definitely closer than uh, a guitar and bass, who, which is primarily tuned in fourths, and certainly much closer than a mandolin or a fiddle, which is tuned in fifths. So that's already a very close relationship, and you can get some, some closer intervals of notes played on two different strings than are, are maybe possible on those other instruments. Now, once we consider the fifth string, the first thing that I would encourage you to keep in mind is that any note that you play, at least if we're in standard G tuning, any note that you play on the fifth string, if you play that same note on your first string, it's gonna be the same pitch. So here's the 12th frets uh, played on the fifth string and then the first string. So really, you could hold down your the, the notes on the first and fifth string on the same fret and just kind of... It's always the same note. So not only do you have those between the first and second note, or first and second string, you have a tight interval, but between the first and the fifth string, it's basically the same uh, pitch given the, the same fret. So all of a sudden we have three different strings in an extremely close little cluster, which means that you could hold down three different notes and then allow your right hand to play 
a really close, intricate melody with those notes without doing anything on your left hand. And that's really going to be the basis for a lot of what we do. And I hope that made sense. I, th I think it'll, I think it'll click once we get into some of these exercises. So, like I said, we're going to have left hand positions of notes to hold down and then let our right hand do most of the work. So the first thing to, to look at with the tab sheet are the right hand patterns. And let, at first, let's just focus on the first two. So that's right hand pattern number one and right hand pattern number two. Now, at first, you should treat these just like a roll exercise. And what I mean by that is just play the right hand pattern on its own without worrying about the left hand and try to play it smoothly with even timing and be able to repeat it without stopping. So here's the first one. It's, it's basically a forward roll, but with just a very small uh, adjustment at the, at the very end. So here we go. Here's right hand pattern number one. So if you're pretty familiar with a forward roll, that should come fairly easily. Um, and the same thing is true for right-hand pattern number two. It's largely a forward roll. Actually, it might be exclusively a forward roll, but it's really the string pattern that's going to make this one come to life eventually once we get our left hand involved. So let's look at right-hand pattern number two and uh, give that the same treatment of repeating without uh, stumbling over it and with some good steady timing. So that's how those sound. Uh, you have your right hand fingering on the tab sheet to help you with those. And so, so the first step is to just practice those until you're comfortable with them. Uh, let's, we're going to skip right hand pattern number three and four for now and go all the way down to the third line of tab where we are going to get our chord shapes. I, I have them tabbed out as if they are just a, a strummed chord, but basically these are just telling you where to put your left hand. So don't be too confused by G6 if you don't if you don't know what a G6 chord is. That's just what we're calling this, but just keep in mind that all this is, if you look at those top three strings, the 17, 15, and 16, that's just your your standard G chord but way up the neck. And where the six comes in is where you, we're going to start fingering the fifth string and use that as kind of a color note. So we're going to play the 14th fret on the fifth string. The way I finger this, and uh, the way I think most people probably do, is with your index on the fifth string 
and then use your ring finger on the G string 16th fret, your middle finger on the B string 15th fret, and your pinky on that 17th fret up there. I suppose you could use your thumb to wrap around the bottom of the neck to get that 14th fret on the 5th string, but um, that's not quite as comfortable for me. So I do it how I just described, but um, hopefully that helps you. So basically we have these notes making up the G6 chord. Once we go to the G7 chord, the only difference is that the 14th fret on the 5th string moves up to the 15th fret. So now we have this. And typically what you should keep in mind is that a sixth chord is going to be a little more colorful, a little prettier sounding. Something like that. A seventh chord is typically like a bluesy chord. So that's how that works. Now, I also have these chords diagrammed for C6 and C7, and then D6 and D7, but really it's the exact same shapes, just moved up or uh, down the neck to the appropriate places. So basically if you get uh, somewhere where your fingers are playing that C chord, and just add that index finger on the seventh fret of the fifth string, you'll have the C6 chord. Or if the finger goes up to the eighth fret, the C7. And I'm strumming these chords now. That's not actually how we're going to play them. I just want you to, to hear what the notes are and verify that you have it, uh, have it correctly so far. Then to the D6. And D7. So practice those shapes too. Um, now, once you get familiar with the chord shapes, uh, get comfortable with those. And once you're also familiar with those first two right hand patterns, it's time to just merge them and put them all together and make some music. So this next series of measures that I have for you is just a basic bluegrassy chord progression, two measures, or uh, four measures rather, of G, two measures of C, two more of G, and then uh, an ending. So let's hear how these sound. The, these chord names above the measures is going to, to tell you which shape to use, and the first exercise is just going to be using only the right hand pattern number one and just move your left hand to make those shapes. Now this is also a good time to point out that some of the tips that I went over in the passing chords lesson applies here in terms of using a G7 to go from G to C and then also a D7 to go from D back to G. Uh, those are going to be in play here, and you'll, you'll hear some of the effects of that. So here's what happens when we go through this chord progression using right-hand pattern number one. Here we go. 
So there you have it. It's pretty, it's relatively simple thus far. Uh, oftentimes in practice, you'll hear it swung a bit and also with some slides, maybe moving into to some of those shapes such as this. So that hopefully will start to sound familiar as something you've heard from, uh, you know, all of your favorite <laughs> bluegrass guys. It's, it's a it's a pretty common uh, shape to use and a pretty common pattern, especially for uh, backup playing. In fact, here are a few um, sound clips that I've put together just offhand. The first few that I found. See if you can hear when the banjo player is going to this sort of shape and pattern. Now, a lot of them don't stick to strictly the right-hand pattern that I laid out, but I think you'll be able to recognize how these shapes are being used. So, uh, yeah, give a quick listen. Try to pick out where this stuff comes up. I never even had the chance and now my life is lost Once more you've had your fun and you don't care how much it costs Chalk up another While I'm running you tonight, my darling There's such a burning deep down in my So hopefully some of that sounds familiar, and as you get a little more familiarity with these right-hand patterns and the left-hand shapes, you'll be able to start to make some, some music that sounds a bit more, more like that and gives you some more options in what to do with your, like I said, particularly backup playing. Folks, I need to tell you about one of the sponsors of the podcast. It's Elderly Instruments. And these days, there's a huge push in supporting local family-owned businesses. Elderly Instruments definitely fits that bill. They've been family-owned since their beginnings in 1972. And that being said, they have grown into a world-famous supplier of all stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, mandolins, fiddles, ukuleles, all that kind of stuff. They have the instruments, they have the accessories, and yes, the, the fact that they are world famous now means they also ship worldwide. So even if you are unable to make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, they can ship to you and also give you the advice to help you make sure that you're finding the right item for your needs. That's the same whether you are a beginner looking for your first instrument or whether you are a very high-end collector looking for that extraordinarily rare or hard-to-find valuable item. Elderly is going to have all of that and everything in between. 
Uh, They're well known for their selection, but also their customer service. So make sure you give them a visit at elderly.com. They will not steer you wrong. Another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast is Peghead Nation. I'm always proud to recommend them, but especially during these times of staying at home a bit more often than we used to. Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele helps you learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. Among their video courses that they offer, you'll be able to find beginning banjo with Bill Evans, bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. And each of those courses has high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and then plenty of play-along tunes included. And as a bonus offer for Picky Fingers listeners, if you join any of those video courses, you're going to get your first month's free. So if you go to pegheadnation.com and get to the checkout, use the promo code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. And like I said, you'll get the first month free from some of those all-star instructors. So check that out, pegheadnation.com. So now let's go to uh, right-hand pattern number two. This one is really cool. This is one that I use all the time, and it's kind of almost amazing how uh, intricate your playing can sound even without moving your left hand with this pattern. So uh, once again, that pattern sounds like So we're going to do the same thing that we just did. Four measures of G, but the second two of which we're going to transfer from the G6 to the G7 shape with the left hand. Uh, Two of C, two more of G, and then finally two of D before we go on back to G. So a pretty pretty standard bluegrass type of progression, Uh, but this time I'm going to use right hand pattern number two. And uh, check out what that sounds like. So that's another one that I that I really dig, and I use that. Um, right hand pattern all the time it always just I don't know it it always just sounds fancier than than what it seems like I'm playing and and so uh it's it becomes very useful let me put it that way uh and we're gonna we're gonna keep using that right hand pattern as we move through this lesson as well so go through those get get real comfortable moving those shapes around uh you don't have to stick strictly with the pattern is exactly as I wrote it, you know, use your ear. Uh, for example, sometimes I leave the second note going back to right hand pattern number one. Now, a lot of times I will leave some notes out. So I don't always play 
you know, you can just use your use your ear, put slides in there, you know, just just try to adapt it to your own style, but uh, just know that those options are there on the fifth string. Uh, the next place that the tab sheet takes us is diatonic shapes. Now these are these are a little more getting slightly more advanced here. Uh, but any of you who went through the uh, I don't remember the episode number, but it's it's how to harmonize stuff. I took you through the diatonic chords. So I'm not going to go all through those again, but you'll you'll actually see them here. But the concept is you play the diatonic chords on the top three strings. So we start with G, but we're going to have our index finger play on the fifth string, basically a color note. So I'll take us through each of these. So what I'm going to play is for the G, I'll play those top three strings and then the fifth string. And then A minor. B minor, C, D, E minor, F sharp diminished, and then finally G again. And I guess the concept of diatonic chords is that all these notes are within the G major scale. So even those notes going up on the fifth string follow the key signature of G major. Uh, you don't necessarily need to know all that theory, but um, you know, just follow the tab sheet for the right shapes. So as the tab sheet says, play using play these using the right hand patterns two, three, and four up and down the scale. So that's what we're gonna do. So first of all, we just got familiar with the right hand pattern number two. So let's let's have our left hand just just play this uh, G shape here first. So that's nine, eight, seven, and then seven on the fifth string. And play that with right hand example number two. And especially if you play it up tempo quite a bit. You can, you can really quickly hear what I mean about how you can do a lot of work just with your right hand without having to move your left hand at all. It's a very intricate melodic line uh, without having to, to move your left hand around as much. Now watch what happens or listen to what happens as you go up that diatonic scale using these right hand patterns. So that starts to sound pretty musical and the, you know, you're not going to use, you're not going to just play the scale of chords. This is all just exercises to get used to these shapes and to how the, the fingerings lay out. Use if the, you know, if using the fifth string is new to you, it really helps to know which notes are available with those chord shapes. So that's what this exercise is for. But really what I'd like to, for you to take away from this is that you know playing playing these common chord shapes except with adding a color note on that fifth string 
that's still in the key signature, and then you can apply one of these right-hand patterns, that gives you some really cool options. And another thing to notice is that these are all closed position. And what I mean by that is it's not using any open strings. So none of this is affected by where your capo is or what key the song is in. If you know that you need to play a certain chord, you can, you can do one of these patterns. And as long as you are, you know, uh, observing the key signature in terms of adding the color note, these are going to work for you basically no matter what. So I, I find them to be really, really useful. And actually where I picked these up was from, I'm going to play you another little sound clip here. The, the way I found this right-hand pattern was from the playing of Alan Mundy and specifically one of his breaks on Devil's Dream. So check out this sound clip and, and I think you'll be able to identify where he's using this uh, roll pattern to go in between. So with Devil's Dream, it's a, we're in open G here. Devil's Dream is an A. So he's going to go from A to B minor rather than what we have here, G to A minor. Pretty cool, right? I always loved how that sounded. And uh, like I keep saying, I use that stuff all the time. So that, those, those two sections that we've covered, it, you know, basically the right-hand pattern number one going through those backups, and then right-hand pattern number two going through the, the backup patterns, but also some of these diatonic chord shapes, you can get a ton of mileage out of that. And I definitely have. Now these next right-hand patterns are a little more situational, um, not quite as universally useful, uh, but it's just another way to demonstrate how to get the most out of, again, these, these close note clusters that are available um, by virtue of the banjo's tuning and the way the fifth string is set up. So let's look at right-hand pattern number three. And basically this is a just a double thumb roll that's my nomenclature for it, uh, but just offset a little bit and on slightly unusual strings. So here's right-hand pattern number three. Pretty simple. Um, and then right-hand pattern number four is very, very similar, but listen to the subtle change for it and you'll You'll understand why after we add some of the chord shapes. So there's right hand pattern three and four. And as the tab says, if we go back to these diatonic chord shapes and we, we apply those right hand patterns three and four to those, Basically, now we're only using, we're, we're no longer using the third G string, the third string. So if you want to give your finger a break by not fingering that one, that is totally cool. So here's pattern number three, uh, going up that diatonic scale. 
And then pattern number four, doing the same thing. So those might, I, I'm not sure how, what you think of those so far, but definitely once you get into more of a musical situation where maybe you need to go from D to G, and typically you might be able to walk down the, the, the chords. Well, now you have an option. You know, something like that. And something I really like about the um, right-hand pattern number four is really accenting the first string on it. So maybe you have one of those seventh chord shapes. Let's take a D7. And you can get that right-hand pattern number four going. It just gives a kind of a nice syncopated rhythm, and like I like I keep saying, it's just a nice way to let your right hand do most of the work to get kind of a cool melodic and rhythmic thing going, even without having to really use a lot of movement with your left hand. Uh, just knowing how to find these clusters of notes that's going to be musically pleasing to the thing that you're trying to play. I added three more chord shapes to the to the tablature just because they are shapes that I use all the time, but I didn't get to actually tab out above, so I didn't want to leave you without these ones. So these are basically minor seventh is is how they end up being. So let's take that A minor shape. Now here, the open fifth string is doing the work that normally our uh, thumb or maybe index finger would. But let's play through some of the right-hand patterns with these minor chord shapes. So uh, I'll do these all on A minor. So here's right-hand pattern number two. Or like I was just doing, right-hand pattern number four. Sounds a lot like uh, June Apple. That's a you know that's one of the the themes of June Apple that makes it play so well on banjo, is taking advantage of those same banjoistic attributes that I've been talking about. So explore those right hand patterns. Explore those ways of getting your your fretting hand involved on those fifth string notes. It doesn't take much to add a lot of color and a lot of character and a lot of different types of options to your playing. It, it can be really useful. And then finally, I, I added just sort of a few fun things to do with the fifth string. These are, these are pretty much taken way out of context. Um, 
but just cool things for you to play with and hopefully maybe find a way of exploring some of these techniques, maybe finding some of your own techniques that are similar to this, or maybe just finding a way to integrate these into a tune. So these aren't super useful on their own, but um, just, just a preview of different ways that the fifth string can and is commonly used. So, so this first lick on the more advanced techniques label, um, it's almost like a foggy mountain breakdown lick. It starts with some hammer-ons, but then kind of goes from there. So here's, here's that whole passage that I have tabbed out. So that's getting even a little more involvement once you start doing hammer-ons on the fifth string. And that's not something I do a lot of, but, you know, just showing you that the, the sky is the limit, right? If you, can, if you can think to do it, then there's probably some creativity to be found by using some techniques that maybe other people don't. Uh, a bluesy lick in D. So here's how, here's how this sounds. So that's like a really simple blues pattern, but it, it shows you a way of allowing the fifth string to play a note that otherwise, so look at like the 10th fret on the D string and then the 12th fret on the high G, the fifth string, you wouldn't normally be able to play those two in such a legato kind of way, whereas this, this allows you to do that. So that's really cool. And then from there, you can kind of I don't know, de develop your own bluesy licks. And then finally, I have to include what, what John Hartford called his slide whistle technique. And I don't know if this is anything exactly what, what Hartford played, but it's definitely a pattern that he um, pioneered on his Gumtree Canoe track. Uh, and it's just a bunch of chromatics. So, he, so here's how this sounds. So yeah, not extremely musical on its own, but if it's used in context, It's usually a good connector. You know, you, you can kind of envision if you were, you know, playing a faster solo. Something like that. Or sometimes I don't even bother going to that. Like, for example, I'll just do. I won't even bother going to the higher note. I'll just go. And if you kind of use that to keep going up the neck, that can be useful for, I don't know, if you have one of those final note of the show and the crowd's going wild and you're just adding a bit of uh, flair and kind of craziness to the, to the end of the song. 
and everyone goes crazy. Or, you, you know, if you're just going for that kind of sound, it's it's good to have that type of technique in your pocket. And like I kind of already demonstrated, you might even be able to weave it with just add a little bit of a, a jazzier element to your playing. So this this is all, th these aren't supposed to be final products. These are ways to get you thinking about the fifth string in new ways and hopefully let your creativity and just, you know, uh, giving you a way to explore some of these ideas in ways that you might not have thought of. So I hope this was all really helpful. I hope it helps you, but uh, definitely, like I said, shoot me a line if any of this was confusing or if I didn't explain something well enough. Always happy to hear from you and try to help however I can. So shoot me an email, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks to the Patreon supporters of the day, Brian Spini and Helen King. Buy some shirts and stickers at banjopodcast.com. And I think that's that's all I got. I'll uh, see you all next time for another episode and enjoy the rest of your summer. <laughs>